What is up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Roll for Persuasion. I'm your host, Andrew. So excited to have you guys here with me. Let's knock out quick business before we get going. As you guys know, the show is brought to you each and every week by my supporters at AwesomeDice.com. They're very straightforward. They make dice. The dice are awesome. You can go buy them, and then you will be the owners of Awesome Dice. So if you need cool dice for your D&D game, Call of Cthulhu, whatever you happen to be playing, go check them out, AwesomeDice.com. You can use the code ROLLPERSUASION at checkout to save 10%. They support the show when you do that, so we all end up happy. Um, I love working with them. They're really cool people. AwesomeDice.com really likes supporting small businesses on the show, as I am one myself. So make sure you guys check them out. And that's it. My goal is to try and get these intro sections to like, I don't know, under a minute or something. So we're going to go ahead and call that it for announcements because I want to get to my guest who I'm super excited to talk to. Beth May, welcome back to the show. Hey, thank you so much for having me back. Um, wow. No, it's awesome. It's, it's, uh, sorry, now I've got dogs barking in the background, but, um, it's okay. It adds to that kind of like home, you know, vibe. Everyone feels really comfortable. Yeah. I'll say, hi, thank you for having me back. Uh, few people do, <laughs> both in person and online. <laughs> well, I'm glad to be one of the few. Yeah, I'm kind of a one-shot kind of gal. Um, am I your first repeat customer? You're not, unfortunately. Oh, I would love gosh. to tell you that you are. But, I need but to not. track down whoever that is and shake their hand. Well, you, we, we can have you back on and you can be my first three-peat. How's that? Oh, yeah. And I get the, what's the SNL, the jacket? Oh, like, yeah. Once exactly. you're like five. Okay, cool, yeah, cool, yeah, cool. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll invent Stay that tuned, just everybody. for you. <laughs> yeah. So for people, maybe, maybe you're new to my show or you haven't listened to the back catalog. Beth was one of my, really my first guests, I think probably in the first month of my show. Um, so you came on very early when I was just figuring some of this out. Yeah. You had a great podcast voice, even when you were just starting out. Like that's the first thing I think I told you on the first, if you go back and listen, I'm like, Andrew, you have a great podcast voice. Um, yeah. So, okay. My name is Beth May and, um, I am on a podcast called Dungeons and Daddies, which to be clear, is not a BDSM podcast. It's a it's a very loose Dungeons and Dragons podcast, and it's about four dads, four fathers from our Earth world who get uh, transported into the Forgotten Realms on a wacky quest to save their lost sons who disappeared en route to a soccer game. And you guys have been doing that for just over a year now, right? Just over a year. It's so wild. Yeah. I can't even, you know, I guess everybody says this, but it feels like it hasn't been two weeks. And then it also feels like it's been 10 years and I'm ancient now. Well, and, and that's what was cool is when we talked last, one of the things that I said was like, I think you guys are on the verge of like really blowing up. Um, and obviously I'm, you know, very wise because since then, I mean, you guys, your Patreon's doing great. Uh, you got invited to do a live show that got COVID canceled. We'll talk about that. <laughs> Um, but you were able yeah. to actually quit your job, right? I was. Oh my gosh. Yeah. The the last time I was talking to you, I was talking to you in a, in like the conference cubicle at my old job. And, um, it was made of like the inside of the cube had wood chips in it. And for some reason it always really aggravated my allergies. So I would be talking to anybody in there and be like, and I'm also dying. So to be out of that cubicle and out of that office is so mind boggling and wonderful and very freeing. And I, I realized the sort of irony of saying that it's been freeing now amidst, um, amidst our current global crisis, but oh, I'm just so, so lucky and so thrilled to have been 
you know, I think I think about all the time if I had stayed in that job and I had nothing else, I would be completely broke and completely just flat on my ass right now. Yeah. And so to have Dungeons and the Daddies uh, save the day like that has been I yeah, I have no words to express how lucky I feel just like absolutely hit the jackpot sort of I yeah, I I can't believe I stumbled into this. And so to to talk about it like a year after we started and to have it now be such a huge part of my life in a way that I never really anticipated. It's like, sometimes it's pretty scary, but most of the time I just feel very, um, like unironically hashtag blessed about it. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's just so cool. I I think that that is like quote unquote the dream or like many people who are trying, you know, people who are out there doing actual plays or doing creative efforts, podcasting, whatever, trying to put themselves out there to, to have, um, not just like success, financially or professionally, but to have it resonate with so many people absolutely, and, and be like, oh man, work that I'm putting out into the universe is received and accepted and brings people joy. Right. Yeah. And I, I think I, uh, I don't know. I've mentioned this throughout, but I, I've been in LA for four years now and I'd never played D and D and it wasn't ever really something that interested me. And so, so for like the primary span of my time here, I've been pursuing writing and acting and doing other weird little endeavors. And D and D was very second dairy, third dairy, fourth dairy to that. And, um, so like, I would describe it as both something that is sort of lifted my confidence to have this be successful and also sort of kept my ego in check because it's, it's like, this wasn't necessarily what I pursued, but it, it made me realize that I could be happy doing a lot of different things and that there's, there's nothing that's without value. And, and so I feel like I've stumbled into this world and managed to bring in all of these other things that I was pursuing with it. So I definitely would qualify it as like the dream, not necessarily only for, uh, but like podcasting, but just for just to have something that you touch, touch other people is just like really amazing. And it's, especially during, um, during like COVID, we've had a lot of people writing in to us, telling us that they've maybe felt a little less alone because listening to the podcast and, and stuff like that. And this, you know, you know, I get messages sometimes. I just, I just cry. <laughs> like, uh, it's just, it's very, very, very touching and very, um, it, it, it keeps me hopeful about a lot of things. So that's great. And you've kind of, uh, joked on the show before about like not actually being into D and D and you don't really care about the D and D side of it, which, which, yeah. which I think is cool because like, it's fun to see someone kind of like what you're talking about, step into something, you know, like Dungeons and Dragons, the game and really use it to its full potential for creating and storytelling and interacting. And so has that kind of been, and I think this is kind of what you mentioned, but has that kind of been a real fun part of it for you is kind of using that framework to get to tell stories, to get to act, to get to do all those different things you were doing on the side before the show? Yeah, absolutely. And I don't know, I, I kind of joke about how, um, anti D and D I've been in the past and I, I always worry about coming off as like, quote, too good for D&D or too not geeky for D&D. And to clarify, like, I'm not at all 
I do not feel that way at all. Like I, I the the geek rabbit holes I go down uh, that are peripheral to D and D are incredible and very geeky. But I I've always seen D and D and sort of role playing games as like um, like cricket. <laughs> like you know, a lot of people yeah yeah don't watch cricket and have no interest in watching cricket or playing uh, cricket. But that's not to say that the people who are playing cricket aren't incredibly talented and mean a huge, significant right, like, yeah. thing to billions of people. But, you know, it's like I would only play cricket with like four people who I was very comfortable playing cricket with, <laughs> um, who played cr cricket before. So that's, uh, yeah. Uh, I'm and sure Grant Howitt has like a one page RPG about playing cricket that you guys can uh, do at some point. I, I hope so. He's, uh, we always joke about how Anthony is such a fanboy, but yeah, I think all of us are, I mean, I think he's actually a great example of how you are able to use creativity that at least somebody like me never anticipated would go into D and D uh, or like any role playing game to completely expand sort of the, like the creative landscape of what that was. And so, yeah. Yeah, I love I love playing specifically with Freddie, Anthony, Matt, and Will because they are they are coming where I'm coming from. They're you know film people, writers, um, people who value what I value. Except they you know they have this extra thing. They have this extra interest and expertise in and D and D. So I think it's it's been great and it's allowed me to definitely pursue a ground that they had already sort of paved trodden on sure and yeah. yeah i feel some days i feel like just kind of a an intern just just sort of learning the stuff they already know yeah. but also just having a blast doing um creating characters and stuff like that and uh i just learned so much from them every every time we record is there uh so, so you guys let me back up you guys have talked before um or anthony's talked specifically about like not wanting this to be like a campaign that goes on forever right not like a 12 year like oh we're just doing this whole thing now that it's like been so successful in providing, you know, obviously like, like a way for you to pursue these other things in game, do you have these moments where you're like, Oh, I should mess this up. So the game has to keep going. So this continues <laughs> like providing the, uh, <laughs> no, I, oh, wait, let me, um, no, I don't get worried about It's like, I feel like it's either going to be sort of, a, a cool HBO limited series, or we could be mm -hmm. like some, uh, some like, criminal mind spinoff going for 12 years and stuff like that. And I think anybody would sort of creatively rather be in the, the limited space, even with the risk of it sort of yeah. drying up or running out. But, um, is in terms of like making mistakes, I am very blessed in that my character is so prone to mistakes and prone to social mishaps and speaking out of turn and stuff like that, that I feel that the more true to my character I am, you know, they're just the mistakes are a side effect. And I, I guess I should clarify that I play um I play a stepfather, the only the the campaign's only stepfather, not biological father, named Ron Sampler, who is a um a, I intro him every episode as the emotionally detached stepfather. When I started playing him, he's he's just kind of a uh emotionally a crude sort of blunt force of ignorance sort of guy but as i've played him uh more and more i've come to appreciate sort of the sweetness that was already there and stuff like that and obviously i'm i'm biased but um yeah i think unfortunately it is has been and always will be in his nature to make mistakes which might be a good thing for the podcast although i know i know anthony would never let us just 
You're just completely fucked completely up for like years and right. years to avoid getting to end ending the podcast. I would imagine too that like, I, I mean, you guys have kind of a proof positive that that together you can make a cool creative thing that people will respond to. And, and so even if, you know, you did finish this campaign and you guys decide to um, do something else, like, is there some level of confidence? Like, okay, we can come up with something else. There's something else we can do as a team. You guys do these uh, for your Patreon supporters. um, These like monthly bonuses of indeterminate content, right. That are like uh, different games you've played or stuff like that, which have all been equally as entertaining. Um, So there's this kind of, at least from a viewer, this kind of established idea like, okay, you guys could say right now that the show's ending and you're going to go do something else. And I would just be like, all right, cool. I'll just, I'll follow you. Whatever you make, I'm going to, I'm going to consume it. So is there kind of a, is there a confidence there for you guys as a team that if this were to end, you could go do something else and be just as successful? I think I'm glad you mentioned as a team, because that's such a, like such a single creator problem. It's like, if you, if you make something good, uh oh, I'm never going to be able to do that again. Yeah. But I think as a team, where especially where I'm putting so much trust in everybody else and stuff, I definitely think that we could come up with something that is equally interesting and equally um, easily, easily, easy to invest in uh, as Dungeons and Daddies. For example, we did, I don't know um, when this came out exactly, the year is a blur, but um, we did a Call of Cthulhu campaign called At the Mountains of Dadness. Um, which I loved. I had so much fun doing it. Really I mean, good. like, yeah. you know, secretly, I think I had more fun doing that than I do. Or I had more fun playing my character than I do uh, playing my normal character. Uh, and the fact that it all sort of wrapped up in the same universe was very fun. We had a really, really great time doing that. Um, so I definitely think that from, from our perspective, we are definitely confident that we could come up with something that we are equally as proud of. That said, um, being on a team with people like Freddie and Anthony who have had um, various and frequent projects under their belt, um, I, I'm aware of the, the weird sort of, um, the, the weird like parasocial backlash that occurs sometimes if you really change your tune. Um, and Freddie, I, I don't think he would mind me talking about this, but um, he's somebody who got in on the the sort of YouTuber thing so early and so professionally and so well that like when he took a step back from doing YouTube videos to do video game high school, there's a section of his fan base who were like, I don't want that. No, I want more YouTube videos. And then when he, when uh, video game high school, um, unfortunately, unfairly, unjustly got canceled, um, there was the same amount of, of his fans that are like, well, I don't want you to go back to you. You know, it's like, you just can't, you unfortunately can't please, everybody and i think as our audience has grown i'm I'm getting sort of used to that too and not taking it personally and stuff like that and i think as long as we are true to the the intentions and like the heart of why we started this podcast in the first place i think the people who will follow us will be we're, we'll be very happy to have them and if we get new people that'd be great too so it's like yeah, it's something I worry about, but not enough to keep me awake at night. Right. What is it like kind of having that community? You talked about receiving, you know, emails or messages. Um, they're very heartfelt, sincere. Uh, what, what has it been like, again, now that it's been over a year, watching that kind of grow and, and become what it is now and what, what will probably continue to keep growing? What has what that kind of experience been like? 
it's been so incredible just so and beyond words many times a lot of our fans the the people who do fan art the people who we got um sort of like a fan created podcast called talking sons which is just such a niche spinoff of our sort of bonus podcast called talking dad which is of course a reference to the the talking dead just everything like <laughs> niche upon niche rabbit hole of, of right. dumb reference but you know a lot of these people i'm like these are more talented than we are and you know just so incredibly worthy of their own attention their own acclaim and stuff like that and um so there's a lot of people in our fan base that i consider more creative peers and people who i look up to and stuff like that and then in terms of uh, messages from listeners and listener support and stuff that it's just it's something i never anticipated that i could that i could be a part of something that could exist without me or could exist in the world without me being there. And it, it's at times it's been very scary and at times not like scary, like threatening scary, but at times it's been, um, it's been a lot to think about. And then other times it's like, you know, I talked to my, my mom and she's like, what, what does D and D stand for again? <laughs> um, and as we've gotten bigger, what's gotten a little bit harder is, um, you know, back when we were really small, I could hit up the Facebook group and be like, hey, tell me about your days. Like, how, like I always used to do this thing where it's like, tell me something that you're working on that your dad would be proud of or something. And like, mm -hmm. just sort of try to harvest that fatherly love that a lot of people don't really get or, you know, may, may only be getting from a dumb podcast like ours, which is why I think it's so important. Um, and now I don't really, not really able to do that just because, uh, you know, we're, we're lucky that we have it we have a larger fan base now, but it is, it is often way harder to make those personal connections and sure, yeah. to, to, uh, to answer every message and stuff like that, because sometimes it would be a full-time job in itself. And I, I don't want to sound like, um, super conceited or super like distant from our fan base, but it, it uh, sometimes it's like triage, I guess. Like, it's yeah, just like, yeah. you have to, figure out where your energy is going to make the most positive difference and stuff like that. Yeah, no, that, that, that's, that's great. Especially in like a creative thing, like you guys are doing, um, podcasting, other content that you're putting out where people really start to feel like they know you, right? Because they're, they're, they're seeing so much of you. Um, for many people, you know, they are, uh, you guys are something that they look forward to, right? They're counting down. Oh, is it Tuesday yet? Like, like, here's this thing. Like they are, you're a part of their lives. Um, and so then when you multiply that exponentially, right, when you have 6,000 people in a Facebook group who feel something of that, and then they have an opportunity to interact with you, it can be overwhelming. Like, I don't, I don't think that's a, I don't think that's a bad thing to say at all. It's, it's, it's a reality. And, and you don't have the opportunity to, like you said, connect individually, maybe that you did early on. Yeah. I, you know, this is, this is again, a, a situation where the boys have a lot more experience than I have, and I, they've been good about me sort of letting, letting me explore how much to interact and how much mm -hmm. to participate and stuff. So they haven't been, um, they've been very helpful, but they, you know, I, I've never felt like I'm doing anything wrong by yeah. answering messages or whatever. That said, I've, uh, 
And I, okay, so there's this, this is really great YouTuber who I just started watching and her name is Sarah Zed and my, my roommate turned, turned me under and she does this entire, um, this entire series about parasocial relationships and that idea of having a personal connection to somebody who does not know you. And I think what's odd and what's beautiful about podcasts specifically is that, you know, we've got people's voices right in our ears. It's Mm -hmm. like having them in our cars with us and stuff like that. So, um, as somebody who for a long time has, you know, thought about, so, you know, somebody who's always wanted to be on the inside of Hollywood and meet like these celebrities in person. Right. I'm absolutely have had these parasocial relationships with people. And I'm like, you know, Jake Gyllenhaal would never do that and stuff like that. So, so to <laughs> right. have it on the other side, it's, um, it's, it's both bewildering and humbling and it can be a little, mm-hmm. um, uh, yeah, a little, little overwhelming at times. And, but ultimately I don't think I would trade it, you know, just cause you get so much yeah. support and stuff like that. Just to know that somebody thinks that you matter is, mm-hmm. um, is just a really big deal for me. And, uh, yeah, it's really helps increase my confidence and stuff. And now I feel like my confidence has increased to the point where I might not even need that sort of external support. But yeah. then I don't know if it's called confidence or ego. Yeah, I, I a lot of the times I'm just worried that it might change me. But then a lot of the times I'm thankful for the ways that it's changed me. So. Yeah, no, that's really cool. So one of the things that you guys were going to do, uh, actually, more or less in my backyard, you were going to come to South By and you were going to do your first live show yes. um, down here in the great state of Texas. And uh, and, you, and you got coroned. Um, but, but what, t- tell me about that. Cause obviously it didn't happen. So maybe you can't talk about it too much, but how did that kind of come about? How are you feeling about taking this, uh, you know, pre-recorded, edited <laughs> audio thing and suddenly throwing it in front of people live? Um, what was that whole thing? Um, I didn't know much about the, the content of whatever we were going to do. And I, I do know that Freddie was actually pretty sure that it would be canceled. And I think the only reason that he, he, he said something on the official account was that I like spilled the beans. I was like, yeah, we're going to stop myself because, um, as somebody who grew up like loving movies and and loving just, Mm -hmm. especially like independent film, I've been dreaming since high school to go to South by Southwest. And obviously this wasn't the, the way I'd ever foresee going to it, but I was just so thrilled and so, so happy. And it, it, uh, it left little room for the, massive amount of anxiety I had about like doing potentially a live show. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, there was always a bit of a question of whether it would happen, which I think ultimately right. made it much easier emotionally to handle it being kind of canceled last minute. Yeah. I think it would have been so, so exciting and such a, like a wild, um, experience, especially for somebody like me who hadn't been to something like that before. I'm also, you know, I, I think we would have done a good job, but I think yeah. doing something else, we might be able to do a better job. And maybe I'm speaking only about myself, but something like that, a big festival like that. I mean, you're definitely not getting people who are just there for you. So sure. it's, it's like, um, I think if we're, we're doing something else, maybe a more uh, local live show or something, we get people who are, who at least know what we're about before right. going in. I love listening to live episodes of like, how did this get made or something like that. And yeah. That, it, they set such a high bar for how hilarious they are though. So I think I would be pretty nervous, but, um, 
I don't know. We'll see. Hasn't happened yet. So. Right. Well, I think there's such, there's such an interesting element to the idea of, of a live show um, because it really does take the theater elements of what you guys are doing in actual play and, and it brings them very much to the forefront and that you are on the stage in front of a literal live audience. But as opposed to traditional theater, you know, in a live show, you're going to have a lot more like feedback and interaction and like you're, yeah. you're really going to feed off the energy of the crowd and, and so it can be a really cool experience. I would assume I've only done theater. I haven't done a podcast live show. Um, but someday. <laughs> yeah, no, I, and I, I did theater all the time in, in college and stuff like, and then a little bit afterward. And I, I love theater. The idea of doing a, it's kind of like a weird combination of theater and then a, a talk back that people actually go to or something. I see people in live podcast shows who sort of have to take on the role of sort of like, I guess the best way I could describe it is like, if you're sort of the straight man on the podcast, you're going to be very Jerry Seinfeld in a live yeah. show. And it's like, you just take on the mo most extreme version of whatever category you've fallen into on the podcast itself. So I, you know, I think about like, how did this get made? Jason Manzoukas probably isn't like that all the time, but he's very, very Jason Manzoukas at live shows. And so, yeah. Yeah. um, yeah, it'd be one, I, it'd be interesting to sort of find my way there and see what the dynamic was like. As we go on, I get less nervous and more excited. And then probably if it ever happens, I'll get way more nervous again. <laughs> right. Do that whole like throwing up off stage immediately before walking. Off. Yeah. Like, that's oh, hey guys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I, you know, I don't know if you did a lot. So I always get the actor's nightmare. If you've ever gotten that where it's like, you're, you're in a show for some reason, you've never shown up to rehearsal and it's like your fault and you've like specifically chosen not to show up to rehearsal. And of course, it's opening night and nobody has like fired you for some reason. And so you are off stage memorizing your lines, going on stage every scene, like doing what you just memorized. I have that dream all the time and it's horrific. And so I think um, to do, even though I'm not a very good improv person, I think not having to rely on lines like that might be um good at least for my dream psyche yeah i never i never had the the dream itself for me it was always you know five minutes before curtain like i don't think i know any of my lines like <laughs> like no i literally what's my first line i have no idea and it would be like right until like you know i hit my spot and i'd be like it would just come out because you've rehearsed it that's why you rehearse yeah. but no for me it was it was the pre-show panic attack more than <laughs> more than dreams terrible yeah. i don't know why we do it because because afterwards you're like wasn't that the greatest thing i've ever done yes exactly until until it five minutes before you do it again, then it's terrible. Mm -hmm. um, speaking of theater though, you recently, you wrote a play. I did. Um, I, I wrote a play called the, the Envelope Play, very specific title, tells you kind of what it's about. Do you correct people if they say the Envelope Play? Oh yes, yeah. Oh, that's so weird because we, um, okay. So when I wrote it in my head, it was always the Envelope Play because I think I call things envelopes, but um, mm -hmm. my, my best friend from, from college, Beth Ann Abramovich, so you know, I'm Beth and Beth Ann from college. Um, she's directed a couple of my plays before and um, we, it, like, we literally had to sit down and be like, okay, so we can't have one of these characters saying envelope and the other saying envelope, we just need to streamline it. And um, Beth Ann is, uh, I don't know, I think she's just like, more formal, formal person as if that matters, but she, you know, we, we decided on envelope. Um, and so now I've been cursed to call it the envelope play forever. Um, this is a play I wrote a, a few years ago. It's basically about this couple who gets sort of roped up in this psychological experiment where basically what if science could predict whether or not you're going to be with the person who you're with 
this time uh, seven years from now. And so um, it was based on this thing I heard on NPR of kind of like a similar concept of sort of predicting future behavior, especially when it comes to couples. And so basically the entire play is them receiving this couple receiving their results and whether or not they're going to look at them. So pretty, pretty gimmicky. It's one of those plays where once I finished, I, cause I finished it probably 2016 and, um, I, it's one of those I had to finish because if I didn't finish, then I would never finish it. So, I mean, it's like one of those I had to put down and I say, okay, it's finished and it's dot, dot, dot fine. You know, it's like, yeah. I wasn't, it wasn't the best thing I'd ever written, but, um, finally it got picked up by this theater company that Beth Ann, um, was going to work with. And she's got her own theater group called how theater theater group. And they're incredible. They do amazing, amazing work. Um, and so to have Beth Ann direct it, a couple of my favorite actors were in it and it was just like, I can't believe I got that lucky with it because I went, I went, I hadn't even thought about this play in like a year. And then when I found out it was going to be opening in Phoenix, I, I drove over there and I arrived like the day of, um, I think a dress rehearsal mm-hmm. and I was so blown away with the work that she had done and with the, with the work that the actors had done. And it was very, very reassuring about the importance of creative teamwork and stuff like that, that they could take this baton that was a little, a little slow, a little banged up and then make it something that I was very, very, very proud to be a part of and to have a lot of people see and stuff like that. So yeah, it was great being able to see it. So what kind of stuff goes through your mind? Like, um, when you, when you're sitting there, you know, about to see it, right. When the curtain's about to open, you're in the audience, I assume. Um, so different, different, you're not just sitting on the stage, like, here we go. Uh, (laughs) totally different (laughs) mode from like, um, acting. And like you said, you're about to see something that you, you know, put together a few years ago. It's a little rough around the edges. And then you see kind of somebody else's vision of it, I guess, or, or a realization of a group vision. Uh, What's that moment like? Well, I love acting because even if you if you didn't write the play, you didn't direct it, you don't, you don't choose the costumes or whatever. There's always the illusion of control. You always know that you maybe could do a little better than what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Whereas like sitting in a theater about to watch somebody else do your play, it is literally the closest I could imagine to sending your baby off to college and like you haven't packed a lunch for them and you just never know when they're going to eat or like sleep or do yeah. anything. It's just, complete lack of control and you have to you know that's that's one of the times where uh trust in your fellow creatives goes so far but not enough to sort of uh just shine away the the nerves of that so it's just you're sitting there like oh i might die and um thankfully opening night um audiences especially in smaller theaters mm-hmm. like that i think it, the theater only spit like 60 maybe 50 people um, opening night crowds tend to be unnaturally supportive. And so, you know, to hear a lot of that good feedback was, um, was very reassuring. And then I stayed through opening weekend and, um, I had a couple of people, I had my, my parents show up a, a couple, uh, a couple of my friends' parents who I was really close to and stuff like that. And, um, seeing their reactions was just so amazing to me. And so, you know, 
it's sort of like anything else where you can't control what people are going to go away thinking, but you can do your best and just sort of enjoy, enjoy the people who enjoy it. You know? Yeah. That's so great. Let's take a real quick second here before we uh, get back with Beth and we'll talk about one of my other sponsors, another small business that I'm a huge fan of. Um, you guys know them. You guys love them as much as I do. Talon and Claw. They make just beautiful, gorgeous wooden dice vaults and uh, DM screens. I mean, the, these things are insane. You need to go check them out. Check out their uh, their Twitter and their in Instagram. Just Google Talon and Claw. You can see the cool stuff Anthony's putting together. You can go and buy their stuff, talonandclaw.etsy.com. You can use code Roll Persuasion, save 10%. Same thing. They support the show. Real awesome, but really you should do it because it's fun to have really cool handmade wooden things to protect all your dice in. Um, so go check them out. When this airs, I think they will be a week away from launching their Kickstarter for their special whiskey barrel dice vaults where they're taking these old whiskey bourbon barrels and they're uh, chopping them down and making these sweet dice vaults out of them. So make sure you're keeping an eye on that so you can support in Talon and Claw. We appreciate their support on the show. They've been guests here before. I have their stuff on my desk right in front of me. I'm a big fan and I know that you guys are too. So thank you for supporting them and for supporting the show. Water break. Nice. I'm not going to cut this part out either. I, you know, people get it real. They get it raw. Wow. Yeah. yeah people get, people got to know people are thirsty out here. Stay hydrated. So you guys are doing the show. It, it's been, it's been awesome. What kind of stuff, uh, you, you've got merch out now. So is it weird seeing like, like merchandise with like a character that you created like name on it? You've got clothes and pins and all this stuff. Like you, you guys have a lot going on with the show. I think it would be extremely weird if I see anybody in the wild, uh, like with, with any of the merch on, you know, right now it's like most of the merch is stuff that like I've stolen from Freddie, like proofs and stuff like that. Like I just, um, I was just over at his apartment, um, and he snuck me one of the original like Dungeons and Daddies logo shirts that I was so excited about. So yeah, most of the, the merch right now is so amazing, but amazing in such that like we want to use it. And right. so yeah, maybe there'll be like two sort of highs from it. The high of actually having it something in your hands and on your body that you can say like, this is like part of what I do. And then, um, like later, if I ever see somebody with, you know, yeah. a pin or something, that's going to be completely yeah, mind blowing. If you saw somebody with like a stampler bumper sticker on their car, would you chase down the car? Until it like got to a red light. Oh, absolutely. I have, I have a, I have a sampler a bumper sticker on my car and, uh, Freddie has one on his, uh, Honda Odyssey, his, uh, the, the OG, um, Honda Odyssey on which our beloved, uh, D and D character is based. Oh, okay. So funny story about Will is that Will has this, um, VGHS shirt that obviously, you know, so he, he wrote on VGHS and huge part of his life and stuff. But it's also just like a very comfortable shirt for him. He looks good mm -hmm. in it, et cetera. And so his biggest fear is running into like a fan um, who doesn't know that he was involved or something like that. And right. saying like, like, oh, man, I love that show. And then him having to be like, yeah, I wrote on it. And, and like he's like wearing his own merchandise. And that's why I wear this shirt every day. <laughs> just in case somebody comes up to me. <laughs> right. Yeah. So I, I think I... Um, I don't know. I would be ashamed, but I would also just do it all the time. I would just like, yeah, yeah. Um, it's a weird, um, it's kind of like a cool sort of pride that I, you know, you don't want to shake everybody's hands and be like, yo, what's up? I'm on a D and D podcast. Right. <laughs> Save or your applause. You? I mean, but, uh, yeah. is it, but wearing like a dumb sort of stampler Supreme hoodie or something yeah. is just like, um, a cool, 
way to maybe avoid actual conversation, but still, but still get uh, something that you care about out there. Yeah. That's fun. So how have you guys been dealing with, uh, dealing with the isolation? You've done a few episodes now remotely. I think we were talking before we started recording, um, about kind of your experience that like the vibe is totally different because normally is, you guys yeah. are all like sitting in like Freddie's living room or something, right? Yeah. Cause normally, um, yeah, no, normally we record in Freddie's apartment and, um, normally we have Freddie's audio expertise to sort of hold our hands during like uh, recording. He'll yell at us about bad mic technique and stuff like that. And, um, so I know he's been suffering the most because, um, just actually, okay. I got a text from Freddie saying that I was his favorite because I was the only one who hasn't turned in a completely botched audio recording. Cause I mean, like we're essentially recording our own audio and then yeah. communicating remotely. Um, Although I don't think Anthony has botched this either. Whatever. I'm Freddie's favorite because <laughs> both Will and Matt have had to redub entire episodes. Yeah, and that I is the that. most wild thing. I have the idea that that Will's laughter is something that he has had to separately record while listening to his own voice is just Right. Oh, it's so funny. It's and you know that Freddie made him do that as like a punishment, is like listening to the entire thing and then redubbing. Uh a necessary punishment. But um yeah, so when we first started out recording remotely, we didn't have any we didn't have any video component. We were all just doing the way that we were we were each recording in our own sort of DAW. So like I was using Audacity and um yeah. and then we were communicating via Discord, sort of like the the audio chat. And Freddie was very smart in that he had us do a couple of one shots before we actually did anything for the main campaign. Mm-hmm. And I just think that was just sort of a genius premonition on his part because there were some audio flubs, you know, levels not right and stuff like that. And, um, also it's hard, it's hard to do audio only. And I never ever anticipated how hard it would be to not see somebody's face and do something like this. And that's why I always tell people for this show to like, like do video. I'm not going to record the video, but like when I listen back to my episodes where somebody's only done um, like an audio talk, I'm just like, I can tell the difference between like the connection I have with the person I'm talking with. So if you multiply that by four or five or however many I'll have, like, yeah, it seems crazy to try and do that audio only. Yeah. And it's like, um, well, when we do talking dad, which is sort of the, the sort of creative conversation bonus podcast, um, that's way easier to do audio only because, um, like this podcast is kind of just like chatting with a friend, like you would yeah. over the phone. And even that like, uh, lacks some vavoom when it's just audio. So mm-hmm. the idea of doing characters and trying to be funny, maybe via only audio was so daunting to me and to be completely transparent about it. I just like, it really brought out my anxiety about sort of board games, role-playing games in general, because, um, I am sort of, a, you know, like I, I, I get very antsy. I have, I have, uh, I have ADD. And so I, I have a lot of trouble staying still and staying committed to something if I can't actively see what I'm engaging with. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, that was, that was pretty hard for me to do the first couple of one shots as audio only. And, um, to, to be able to even stay with them mentally was just a huge challenge. But then finally, when we, we got to do zoom, um, as everybody is doing 
Freddie has already found out a way to do like like moving animated backgrounds and so, and so the rest of us just have our dumb you know cats or whatever but yeah freddie's got like animated gifts of him in the back oh it's absurd <laughs> um but just even seeing their faces and sort of knowing when somebody was about to talk or something based on yeah. a you know a mouth opening a grimace etc it was just so much better and even then it's just not quite not quite it, you know, but I, sure. I think, I think there's other professions that are having to do everything remotely now where that be so much more challenging. And so I think that we're, we're lucky to at least have the availability to work from home at all. Cause so right, many people, yeah. it's just like, um, it's just kind of a joke to be working. You know, it's like you, like there's, I think about the company I used to work for and trying to think about how you would work from home with that. You just wouldn't be able to. You would just have yeah, to. It's like performative. Would it be of. a way? Yeah. So what else have you been doing uh, in the midst of the quarantine and the shutdown to uh, keep yourself from going crazy? Um, I, you know, I, I've been doing other sort of freelance jobs for people just sort of uh, specifically in the film industry, just as sort because, you know, I am sort of. I'm definitely pursuing all of my projects there as well, although the industry is all but shut down. And so I'm, I'm doing little like pitch decks and stuff like that. And, and I think to really avoid going crazy, I've been extremely, extremely lucky in that I live with a bunch of people. I, I always consider that kind of a detriment to be living in a house with seven people in LA and, um, yeah, like a three bedroom house with seven people. Oh, basically. Wow. <laughs> uh, no, it's, I think four bedroom, but, um, still it's hard to count when you're all stacked on top of each other. Absolutely. So. Yeah. When we're, we're all like princess in the PU on the mattresses right. over there. Yeah. It's been really great to have that sort of like family where everybody is home all the time and there's enough people where it's not awkward and it's not tense. Cause you can always just be like, yo, this person's pissing me off. Will you tell them they're pissing me off? <laughs> like there's all these like go-betweens and yeah. stuff like that. Um, and we get to watch movies and, uh, what are one of our only like still working roomies, one of our essential worker employees, uh, works at BevMo. And so that it gives us a great, just a great time the, every the night. The most essential employee. Yes. The most, most essential. Um, and so, yeah, it is for better or worse, a lot like being back at like college Saturday nights and uh, yeah. stuff like that. So which, by the way, in, in Houston and maybe all of Texas, but only since the pandemic have we been legally allowed to get alcohol delivered to our homes. Oh, like, wow. I know, I know. Because, like, I remember I went to, because my company's in L.A., so I travel to L.A. pretty frequently. And one night I was like, oh, I don't really want to go out. I'm like, Googling, I'm like, oh, people can bring liquor to me? <laughs> oh, my gosh. I, I hadn't blown. even considered that, obviously, because, you know, we have David working at BevMo, but... um yeah like the idea that you could have so much delivered to you it, right. it does feel sort of you know exploitative but also it's like it's right there for you um right. and actually uber eats uh not to make this into an uber eats commercial but it does this thing in la where like uh there's no f delivery fee for local restaurants so kind of cool way to oh, support cool. them during that's very nice someone should do that here <clears throat> uber eats Feel free to sponsor this this podcast. Yeah, shout out to Uber Eats. Shout unless out. they don't sponsor this podcast, then boo. They, they don't. And personally, I use DoorDash, so we'll just we'll cut this whole segment out. 
Um, so kind of a total random tangent before I forget, uh, you are friends with Ashley Birch, who is sister of your DM, Anthony Birch. Um, that's as far down that family tree I'm going to go. Um, she is in uh, a stream right now called stream of blood, uh, with a guy named Jared Logan, who was recently on. Have you, have you watched that at all? I haven't. I'm such a oh, bad friend. No. Okay. okay. I, like, well I, then we can't spend a half an hour talking about it. I know. It. Okay. I'm so sorry. Okay. Like, I don't know. Honestly, don't even cut this out because this guy has no idea who I am. But um, uh, the other person who was on that stream with her, what is his name? Um, Thomas Middleditch? No. It's, Ross uh, Bryant? Yes. Ross Bryant. Okay. I think he's like, he's like a weird like comedy crush of mine. And I'm not the only one who I've talked to who has the same feeling. He's like this weird platonic comedy crush because I see him at um, my, one of my good friends is in baby wants candy which is a musical improv show at ucb which is phenomenal like i cannot say enough. i mean these people are just talented beyond words and um ross is in a lot of those shows and in addition to being in um uh improv shakespeare with uh thomas middleditch and stuff like that so he's just like um yeah no like when i saw that he was on this i was like so starstruck i can't i mean ashley gets to meet all the cool people she was she was in um mythic quest yeah, on yeah and it love was that show i i love that show you know it's like sometimes you you watch things that your friends are in to support them and that was like mm. i watched the first episode to support ashley and the rest of the episodes i watched because i couldn't stop watching i just thought it was such yeah. a great show um and of course when i learned that she had met um uh f abraham murray um mm. i was like what i was so jealous and i love Amadeus. So, um, yeah, she gets to meet all the cool people, including my improv crush, Ross, Ross Bryant. So, so you, so you don't like hit her up every day? Like, Hey, do you guys need anybody else on the show? I'll, I'll play. No. Oh my gosh. I, I do so much stuff to her that it's like, just such a, a friend task on her professional life where it's just like, Hey, can I send you my voice acting real? Hey, you know, it's just like, I don't want to be that friend at all. Right, so yeah. I just try um, I mean, she just gave us our couch. We just got a cool new couch, uh, courtesy of Ashley and, um, shout out to Ashley roomies. sponsor of the, uh, the seven person four bedroom house. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And their, their house is close to ours and yeah, her roommates are all incredibly, incredibly talented and just sort of, a a mirror of our house in many regards. And so, yeah, I know I need to listen or watch Stream of Blood. I just haven't gotten. Well, it is it. it is hard. Like, and and I told this uh, the guy who GMs that Jared was on the the show a few weeks ago. It is it is difficult to like sit and sit down and watch you know two hours of YouTube. Like, I can listen to a podcast. I can put my headphones in. So so it is difficult when it's just like on YouTube. Yeah. Feel free to to not answer this because it's a bit of a weird question. But I've noticed, especially as I've done the show and I've gone to have, you know, cool people that I look up to in the industry and, you know, who are kind of like big names or celebrities on there's definitely, I have experienced this weird dissonance of like, okay, we have, we have some form of relationship. How do I make sure that you know that I'm not here to try and like get something from you? Do, do you, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, but yeah, yeah, absolutely. Do you kind of experience and struggle that like, like you're in kind of the Hollywood industry in, in many ways and you know, you have friends in different areas. Like what's that struggle like for you? This totally has nothing to do with D&D. &D. I just think it's an interesting question. No, I think it's super interesting too. And I, what's weird is that there are a lot of people who I would absolutely feel like that with. And, but when I met Ashley, Anthony and, um, 
Freddie, I'll get into a second because it's kind of a weird story, but um, I had no idea what they did. And it's mm-hmm. like, I, I'm like kind of a selfish jerk. So we'd established like a really good rapport before I even turned to Ash and like, what do you do for a living? She's like, I'm a voice actor. And she's like, oh, I'm like, I'm not, that's cool. <laughs> I don't know what that is. Um, so for the most part, I, they're just like genuinely amazing people and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And I, I'm also friends with, um, Elise, uh, and James Willems who do like fun house and, uh, you know, the same sort of thing where we were friends. And then I added them on Instagram and I'm like, sorry, why do you have a million Instagram? <laughs> um, but there's, there's definitely like people who I'm meeting for the first time. And, you know, it's, it's hard to walk the line of being friendly without sort of wanting to be aloof because you want to so desperately yeah. promote that in- image of like, I don't need anything from you. Right. But by the same token, it's like, although I think of networking as kind of finger pointy, uh, like finger guns, uh, smarmy situation there, you know, like collaboration is necessary and collaboration yeah. can get you farther in your career and also farther in your development as a creative person. So I, so like with Freddie, when I, weirdly, when I moved, I moved to LA for a summer in 2012 and I was a PA on a, like a couple episodes of video game high school. And I was like in a haze that summer. I just like, don't remember anything about it. And I know that I had met Freddie, but I totally forgot about it. Later when I moved to LA, I met him again. And then only like a month after that, I remember I was like a PA and he had totally forgotten about me, obviously. But, um, so meeting him and already knowing that he was like, quote unquote, or not even quote, he was a big deal. It was, um, it was sort of a weird sort of, I don't know. It's like. You just try to be as organic as you can. And then occasionally right. um, it comes it comes back your way in a sort of professional capacity. And I mm-hmm. I think if you're good friends with somebody, it's always a risk to enter into something professional with them. Sure. Yeah. And I think uh, people in the industry appreciate that sort of social risk. And I think that's why. I think that's why Hollywood people can tend to be like very like surface level nice and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Cause you just never know who you're yeah. going to become genuine friends with and stuff. So, um, yeah, I wish I had like a, an actual answer as to how to, to approach it. I, I also feel like starstruck by a lot of my friends, like after the fact, <laughs> like, mm-hmm. like they just, you know, I know them as, as people or whatever. And then they do something and I'm just like, blown away and i can't believe that i i know them whereas if i were meeting like hugh jackman for the first time i i would just be you know like a i yeah there's something different about that like my my friend elise and uh, james just did this rooster teeth uh sketch show called arizona circle and i finally Mm -hmm. got around to watching it and it blew my mind incredible to to know these people so i definitely yeah, there's no there's no easy way to do it except for to accept that you're going to be a fangirl every day of the week if you're fr- friends with talented people. Right. Well, it's such an interesting like like internal dynamic because so much of it is internal, right? Like or at least for me like my thought process is like, "Oh, I bet this person deals with, you know, people being fans of them all the time." 
So I don't want to be that. Like you make a lot of assumptions about what they're thinking and and how they might like receive something. And so then you start like formulating your own behavior to make sure that you don't trigger things that maybe they're not even thinking. Or yeah, feeling. absolutely. And then, and then you're like, whoa, what the hell? Like, like I had, and I, I won't, I won't name names. I had a really cool experience where I got to meet somebody who was a big, uh, just kind of like a big inspiration of mine. And like, I think I went way too far in the other end. Like, oh yeah, I'm just going to be so chilled and laid back and so not I've impressed by totally who you are. I've totally been guilty of that all the time, especially when I worked in, in an office where we'd have, like sometimes I would watch the front, yeah. um, the front desk and we would have like very big A-list celebrities. And I luckily had the position where I wasn't supposed to be too friendly with them because I couldn't like absolutely fawn over them but mm-hmm. many times i'd be like yeah no it's like michael fassbender that's chill like i don't even yeah, yeah. whatever have i told you my keanu reeves story though no you haven't but i would love to hear yeah, okay if you have time story. yeah okay so so when i was working um i was working the front desk one day and um this guy comes in i so i was working the front desk nobody told me that there was going to be any big meeting or anything it's a pretty small company this guy walks in, motorcycle helmet, uh, sunglasses, beanie, and I'm just like, oh my God, it's Keanu Reeves. And so, you know, I felt the the butterflies in my stomach, the sort of weird otherworldliness when you see a famous person in real life and you right. think that they shouldn't be in 3D, that they should be two-dimensional people. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> so he's like, okay, so I'm here with my for my meeting with Micah, who was like one of the execs and uh so i call up i i wanted to play it cool by not asking his name because i wanted to be like yeah of course i know you're keanu reeves duh i'm not a I'm not a loser who doesn't know who you are so i call up to micah's assistant and i'm like all suave i'm like hey micah's meeting is here and his assistant goes well who is it and i like freeze with my hand on the phone i'm like okay if if he was meeting with Keanu Reeves, he would know that Keanu Reeves is here. This guy isn't Keanu Reeves. And so I'm like, uh-oh. And oh, I, so I'm like frozen with the phone and I hang up and I'm like, or I say, uh, let me get back to you. And I hang up and now, you know, my palms are sweating. I'm looking at this guy across from me. I'm like, that looks like Keanu Reeves, but I'm not sure if it's like, if, if he has no idea who's, who's, uh, who's coming, then like this guy is some other person. Yeah. So I'm like trying to work out what I'm going to do next. And I, um, so I'm just like, Hey, can I get you anything to drink of water or something like that? And, um, he's like, Oh yeah, I'd love a water. So, so I go over, um, to the kitchen and get him a bottle of water. And the entire time I'm like sort of formulating what I'm going to do to make sure that this guy is actually Keanu Reeves. And I call up again to the assistant this time from the other phone and I can't get through to him. So I'm just like dying in the kitchen. So I'm like, okay, well, you know, uh, this is this is my job. I just gotta, you just gotta do it. And so I hand him the, hand him the water and I say, Oh, and can I get your name please? And he says, uh, yeah, it's Keanu. That's K E A N U. (laughs) And, um, you know, I'm wanting to melt through the floor into the parking garage at that point. So I just like sort of waddle over to the front phone again (laughs) and I call up Mike's (laughs) assistant and I'm like, uh, yeah, it's uh, Keanu Reeves. And, um, He's like, oh yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. So Michael will be down shortly, right, right. and so you know this this exact takes like a notoriously long time to meet with people. So it's just me and Keanu after I've asked his name like a complete like ugh, just absolute loser, and um, because at that point you can't even be like I'm a big fan of you. I didn't know who no, you were yeah, exactly, until two minutes. Exactly, and so but it's it's also like celebrities would come through enough that I 
you know, I'd always want to say like something to them just to say that I had talked to them because it was, just, they are just regular people. I mean, yeah, for the most part. But, um, so I, I like, I say, so, um, cause it's Friday. I'm like, so are you, any big plans for the weekend? And he said, yeah, I'm probably just going to do a lot of reading. And I was like trying to be funny. And so I'm like, uh, yeah, same here, except with Netflix. And then, uh, <laughs> Kiana says, do you eat popcorn while you watch Netflix? And I say, uh, no, I, you know, I, I don't really like those, the buttery packages or whatever. And then he tells me his recipe for popcorn. He says, I got this great recipe for popcorn. And he like spills it. And it's this very complex uh, popcorn recipe. As you would assume. Yeah. And so I'm like, I'm at this point, like I'm the most starstruck I've ever been that Keanu was telling me his popcorn recipe. And so uh, it like, and it ends, he says, but the the thing is, you you know, when it's done, because it makes it like pop, 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 pop. And, um, (laughs) And so then I like start laughing. I'm like, I wish I'd written this down. And he looks like genuinely hurt. And he's like, you didn't. And I was like, I mean, oh, I'm so sorry. And then he's like, he repeats it. He repeats the recipe. And this time I'm like compounded starstruck and embarrassment. So I'm not actually writing it down, but I'm like moving my pen as if I am. And, um, and then, you know, he finishes again with the, and you got to listen for that pop, 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 pop. Finally, he gets the, uh, he, he goes up for the meeting and stuff like that. And I'm down in the front desk for the rest of the day, just sort of dying inside as he exits his meeting, uh, after an hour or so he walks by me and he's like, don't forget, listen for that pop, 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 pop. <laughs> so that's my Keanu story. I don't think we'll be collabing anytime soon though. But yeah. Well, you never know. You never know when it comes back around. Yeah. Um, that, that's kind of like the, uh, the Jack Black tenacious D song tribute where they, they hear the, uh, the greatest, are you familiar with this? I'm not, I've seen, okay, I've seen totally the, the movie. I haven't it, listened it's, to it. It's a, well, yeah. So it was based off the song. The idea is that they, uh, met the devil and he told them to play the best song in the world and they did, but they couldn't remember the song. So they just wrote a tribute to the best song <laughs> in the world. It's like, you have okay, heard yes, Keanu Reeves ultimate popcorn recipe, exactly. but you don't actually remember it. So no it'll idea. never be shared. Oh man. Well, hey, you know, thank you so much for uh, for joining me again. Is there anything else you guys have coming up uh, on Dungeons and Daddies or you personally that you want to share or shout out? Oh, we, we've got this cool thing coming up on uh, our our Patreon. Sorry to be like, you know, promoting the paywall thing again. Oh, no. You know, speaking of your Patreon, you should open up one more of those, like whatever the top tier one is, because I've missed out on that like three times now. I know. So um, Freddie like freddie does whatever intricate math he does like i i am in awe of the way that his brain works in a creative and business way but um yeah he there's something that he's trying to do for the big yeah i can't even speak to that i just like he's like yeah, well we have yeah. something planned <laughs> and i just like trust that <laughs> but no feel free to i I'm, i love your patreon so promote it away <laughs> we have uh we have the rocks rock ep uh yes, coming out yeah. that that one of our characters it's like a character album that is rap music about geology so that nothing goes better than hip hop and geology. I it's think a true so, rap rock fusion. Yeah. So I think we're all getting to be a little part of that. Um, I think that's been kind of a challenge to record remotely too. So I think um, it's been a little slower coming together than some of the other stuff. And then something that I'm terrified about, but I think that might end up being fun is that, uh, Freddie, Will, Matt, and I are DMing a can uh, like a one shot where Anthony will be playing basically uh 
two NPCs, Payton. Oh, that's the one where he's playing Walter and Payton. Okay. Walter, yeah. yeah, yeah so yeah. Um, that that scares me to shreds. So like, but, um, y'all I think, are going to like triple DM it? Yeah, I think it'll be fun. <laughs> um, that's great. Yeah, and that's, that's oh, oh, I, um, this is what I really want to promote. I, and something that I feel very lucky in having a platform that I didn't have before is that like I, during the quarantine, I've really gotten into TikTok. I, I got a, like most millennials sneaking into the Zoomer, uh, the Zoomer TikTok app, uh, meekly and sheepishly. I was, you know, I just fell in love with it because especially during quarantine and just sitting alone, uh, in the living room most days, just coming up with these dumb, 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 incredible, uh, incredibly stupid videos nothing has brought me more joy during the during quarantine than roping my roommates into doing silly things and um i think one of the the great sort of uh privileges of having a bigger platform is that i get to impose all of my uh silly tweets and silly tiktok videos on more people which has always been um I've always loved doing dumb tweets and dumb videos and stuff like that. So to have more people see it and unfortunately um, uh, make my habit a possibility um, has been great for me. So that's, yeah. And I'm on TikTok at Hey Beth May. Yeah. At hey, so you're Hey Beth May on TikTok, Twitter. And Instagram. Yeah. And Instagram, the three majors of social media. Nothing makes me feel less creative uh, or old than TikTok. Like, oh yeah, absolutely. I'm like, I should do this. And then I download, I'm like, I'm old and I delete it. And I just never do. I got to give it up to Freddie who like taught me how to like even do anything on it. And of course, like his, he was like, okay, so this is the, t- the best times to TikTok, And this is how to get most engagement. Right. I'm like, Freddie, I literally just want to do like a dumb video. Like I don't need to know any of this stuff. Some of the, the fads or the memes that explode over TikTok are so inaccessible to me, but I still love them. And I just like, I love trying to explain stuff like that to my mom where it's like, okay, so no, the, the gimmick is like you have the camera at your feet and then you say you're walking in on somebody naked, but it's like, yeah, like just trying to explain these are you, incredible. You could do a whole, uh, you could do a whole TikTok channel just of you trying to explain uh, a TikTok video to your parents. Oh my gosh. Yes. That's it. I will credit you if I, if I ever, thank you. I'll, I'll catch those royalty checks for sure. Absolutely. Well, cool. Well, uh, again, thank you for joining me. It's been really fun. I love just getting to chat with you. So it's been a really fun time. Absolutely. Um, Um, Thanks for having me back. Yeah, no, glad to have you. Uh, We'll do it again in six months and you'll be the first three time guests. Yeah, Yeah, we'll get you the jacket. Yeah. Supporters of the show at patreon.com slash roll for persuasion. Stick around because after the exit music, you will have access to the exclusive zone of truth segment where I think Beth and I are going to be chatting about poetry and spoken word, uh, cool stuff that you're into. So you'll get to tell me all the awesome stuff about that. Um, and I'm looking forward to that. And if you want to, like I said, support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash roll for persuasion. You can follow me on social media. I have Twitter at uh, roll persuasion. I have Instagram, but I don't do anything on it. So your best bet is really probably to come find me on Twitter. You can also email the show Andrew at roll for persuasion.com. And of course, make sure that in all this craziness and all this uh, weirdness going on right now, you guys are being nice to each other. We're being gentle with ourselves and the people around us. And until next time, guys, enjoy your games. back.
um, total confession, we were, we were talking and I was having fun just chatting with you. I totally lost track of how long we'd been recording. I know, so I, I feel down. bad. I'm sorry. No, no, no. I was like, well, no, I feel bad for you because you're the one, you're the guest. I'm here as long as you're here. But I was like, oh, uh, I guess we need to wrap up. So uh, <laughs> welcome, Patreon listeners, to the the unedited, fully raw <laughs> Zone of Truth segment where uh, you get immediate access to uh, whatever just happened on the show. Um, so yeah, so Beth, <laughs> immediate you're still access. Immediate access. Exclusive. Behind the scenes. Um, yeah, I should do voice acting. Uh, in a world. You should. I, t- I tell you, you got a good podcast voice. See, the rest of us are like squeaking on the mic like, eh, well, I want to do I, I listen podcast. to too much NPR. Um, I have feelings no, I, about I, movies. Let me tell you how I feel about Star Wars. It, <laughs> the social justice warriors have ruined you know, yeah, that whole thing. <laughs> I have my whole YouTube channel. Um, <laughs> no, I'd love, you know, confession. I would love to do voice acting. That's kind of a dream, but I don't want to move to L.A. or anywhere. Well, now so you I, don't have to. Because, like, I mean, like, you know, you know, the reason that Ashley gave us her couch is that it was in her office or her and uh, her other roommate's office. And uh, she had to build a, uh, um, a, oh, like a like an audio booth in there. Yeah. I don't think she built it. I think she got it built. But that would be pretty badass if she built it. I was going to say the mental image of her like, you know, yeah, she, I mean, like she's like, up a, she's like five foot zero. I think she, <laughs> I totally believe that she could. Um, Random. Can I, I'm going to fangirl about Ashley real yeah, quick. Yeah, please. She has the coolest hair it's in the world. Amazing. And, and I feel it, weird saying that, but it's also true. And so I feel like it needs to be spoken. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I don't know how it happened it keeps somehow evolving while looking you know it's like she's had the shorter hair ever since i've known her um although if i watch like old videos of hey ash she has like the longer hair i guess um but you know now it has some like silver in it and stuff like that it's truly a masterpiece on of a head on top of a masterpiece of a person right there so shout out to ashley's hair yeah, she she looks like you could drop her into Hogwarts and you would just go, oh, yeah, you are a professor of something here. Yeah. You are clearly magical. But also you could like drop her into like anything and you'd be like, this feels right. This is. Yeah, yeah. This, this fits. <laughs> this is good. Um, well, anyway, we're not here to talk about Ashley. Uh, we're here what? to talk about. Well, I mean, we could, but we're not going to. Um, yeah, poetry. So you you do spoken word, right? Tell me. Yeah. Uh, tell me about that. Um, tell me everything. <laughs> so I. I used to do a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot more um, than I do it when I now that I'm living in LA. But when I when I went to I went to college at Arizona State, uh, Fork and Devils, um, and I was walking down sort of the Memorial Union, sort of you know like the central sort of park like quad way area, thing. Or whatever, yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, they were doing. I guess it was like a talent show or some sort of like. All right, it was probably just like an open mic night, and I um. I saw this guy, Merlin Hepworth, doing um, spoken word. And I never, you know, I think my only, my only knowledge of it beyond that was like kind of parody of it, like seeing people mm-hmm. on cartoons, like snapping their fingers and berets and stuff and doing, and doing spoken word. Right. Um, but when I saw Merlin do it, he was just absolutely captivating in the way that he used language um, and the, the way that he sort of... Uh, blended in the musicality of hip hop with sort of the, the more, um, the more like stagnant words that we use with poetry and stuff like that. And then wrapped it up in this way that was personal and accessible and stuff. It just really wowed me, really blew me away. So I, um, I hit him up over like Facebook or something cause I was too nervous to go up to him. Um, and he said that the school had, their own sort of like slam poetry 
not team, but just sort of like a group that would meet, you know, mm-hmm. once every couple of weeks and stuff like that. And um, I, I, I studied, let's see, I did a lot of like, I took creative writing twice in high school because I was just like a nerd and stuff like that. But I always was really, really bad at the poetry part. Mm-hmm. Um, and for whatever reason, the spoken word slam poetry, I, you know, everything just sort of meshed right where it was like, I, I sort of took my experience with acting and performing. And then also, you know, I, I like writing songs, but I can't sing and I'm not very musically inclined and stuff like that. So just to have that, that free flowing, uh, rhythm without the necessarily like the intonation uh, to be able to speak to things was, yeah, it just, it felt very magical and it felt very, um, yeah. I think it's right that it's such a niche thing because it's, just, it just sort of all fell together in a very cool, cool way. Um, and so while I was living in Phoenix, um, I performed with the, the Phoenix sort of their, their national team because every, every year there's a, um, a national poetry slam and it's, it's, a uh, that sort of poetry is competitive and it's sort of scaled on a scaled on a, uh, a number system from one to 10 to 10 being the best poem you've ever heard in your life. One being like, go home, you don't belong here. Um, and so the, the poetry scene is incredibly competitive and incredibly like also comp- incredibly supportive. And there's all these sort of um, these sort of like independent rules that the culture adheres to. And yet what's so weird about it is that it's kind of hard to find that culture online. Like you just, yeah, there's a, I mean, I, I think there's lots of hobbies where sort of the, that, um, that presence of its participants is very, um, very present online and there's places to chat about the art and stuff like that. But with poetry for whatever, specifically spoken word, there's just not a lot of, uh, of space online for that. Um, at least that I've, that I know about. And so you were, I was really forced in this very like face-to-face communal atmosphere of doing competitive poetry. And um, now of course we've got button poetry on YouTube. That's really brought slam poetry to the forefront to a lot of people um, and really made a lot of people aware of slam poetry for the first time, being able to sort of share their voices for the first time, which I think is super powerful. Um, now that I've been in LA um, there's the biggest open mic in the world, uh, there every, every Tuesday called the poetry lounge, absolute incredible familial community and stuff like that. There just uh, some of the best poets you've ever heard. Um, and yeah, so for people who don't know a lot about spoken word slam poetry in its competitive sense, you're only allowed to do three minute poems, which I think saves everybody from the worst of the worst. Um, and you know, you have to be strategic because there's three rounds. So you're doing three poems essentially. And so you've got to lead with your strongest or else you'll get knocked out. And then you've got to maintain the momentum. Second round, third round, you got to bring it home, et cetera. Yeah. Um, so, in, you know, I feel like it, I, it was something I'm, I'm good at and it's something that I love, but it's also very hard to keep up that competitive energy week to week. And it kind of does sure, have to yeah. consume you. So I've taken a step back definitely from competing. Although, um, 
I love going to open mics and, um, we actually have a stage in our backyard. So we do concerts, um, or we did before, <laughs> before all the quarantine and stuff like that. I'm hoping we'll get that, uh, set up now again. Now you make TikTok videos. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so, and I, I don't know, something that's, that's been great about poetry for me is that it doesn't, a, a poem doesn't have to be serious. You can do like a really funny sort of, uh, you know, ultimately it has the, sort of the freedom that any uh, song or uh, rap has where it's like, it can be a diss track. It can be like really funny. It can be mm -hmm. really deep and stuff like that. And there's just this wide range of um, like emotional exploration in sort of this other form. Um, so yeah, I, I like pride myself on having poems that are, you know, as funny as I can make them while talking about more serious stuff and yeah. stuff like that. So, yeah. It seems like something that is intensely personal in, in the sense of like needs to really be experienced like in person. Um, I, I, as a, a consumer have, you know, tried before to listen to listen to spoken word, you know, like on Spotify or something. And it's like, hard. Yeah. And it's hard. And, and the few times I've been somewhere where it's been happening live, it's been really captivating. And, and I wonder if maybe that's part of why most of like you were saying, the community tends to be in person and not necessarily online. There's just something, it's just difficult to connect to until you're like there in the space with the yeah, person, that's at least for really, me. That's a yeah. really good point. I, I actually hadn't even thought of that. It's like, um, and I think being able to see somebody and know that what they're saying is their story and that you can yeah. connect it to that human being that you can reach out and touch is like something, uh, special. I also think that a lot of, um, a lot of spoken word doesn't translate well to the audio only thing. It's like you have to sort of infuse it with music in a way that makes it more accessible to somebody who is just there for the audio experience of it. I'm actually, you know, before, uh, before everybody got sort of locked down, I was working on a spoken word album, um, with my friend Tamara, who's an incredibly musician. And I, I've, uh, I've collaborated with her, uh, with her band before. And so this was going to be more like my, my album. So I'm hoping that still happens this year. Cause it, it's not going to be a huge, um, undertaking so much as just a way to get my poetry out and stuff like that. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, why has there not been a like spoken word take on like the step up movies or. <laughs> there, okay. There actually or has there is. Been? Yeah. So like, um, cause I'm half joking, but also half serious. No, I, I, cause I always, you know, it's weird. It's, it's one of those things that it's such a weird hobby that of course the writer's brain automatically goes to like, okay, how can I make this a movie? Like, um, yeah. but yeah, I, or I guess the, the movie that I'm thinking of is bodied, which is technically about a battle rap. Um, okay. although, you know, slam poetry shares a lot in common with battle rap, even though it's not specifically toward somebody, but just sort of the the use of language and the, the flow and stuff like that. However, um, yeah, I guess there's not, there's a lot of cool documentaries that people should watch. There's a, mm -hmm. there's one called louder than a bomb, which is, um, about the high school national poetry slam and these kids 18 years old making me hate myself because they're so talented and so good. And he's just like, you're never going to get to that level. <laughs> so, um, very cool and accessible documentary to people who don't even like or appreciate slam poetry though. Yeah. Sorry, I'm Googling louder than a bomb right now okay. so I can have it like saved back here. Um, 
So is there, let me focus back in. Um, is there, is there like a version, like an improv version of slam poetry that is kind of like a rap battle or at that point, is it essentially just a rap battle? <laughs> That's a good question. I, that sounds so terrifying. I would never, be, I, I actually think that, cause I've been to open mics where people are, are like claiming to do sort of on the spot, um, poetry Mm-hmm. To be clear, I've never seen it done super well, but um, yeah. I, yeah, I imagine if somebody's just a killer at freestyle rap, they would be equally good at um, at poetry freestyle. Yeah. <laughs> so do you um, like? Do you have like like just like a book of 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 poems that you pull out? Like obviously, like you said, you're not a uh, you're not competing anymore. But do you kind of have a list of go-to things or when you were competing, would you go and write something new for that competition? If I, if I knew I was competing against a, a certain person or if I was like, um, if somebody had beat me previously in the past week, I kind of would try to work on something to go after that person. Not like on a personal level, but in like, okay, how can I stand out against this person? Because I, um, when talking about this is the moment in the movie when the training montage is happening. Like I'm exactly, seeing it while yes. you're talking, this person beat me. Greg's not gonna beat me again. <laughs> and it's like when you're when you're um when you're doing like emotional things and stuff like that, talking about just sort of the essence of your personhood, you do mm-hmm. tend to see some thematic overlap when people talk about really hard moments in their lives and stuff like that. And so um Specifically in competitions, if you're going up right after somebody who's done something thematically similar to you, it can be devastating. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, I would just kind of, uh, you know, write to that. And then um, I have about I have about six or seven that um, are always on the dome, memorized a long time ago, and mm-hmm. um, they're sort of my my go tos if I need, you know, a good one or whatever, or yeah. quote unquote good one. Um, yeah. So. Well, hopefully you get to, uh, like you said, you get to get out of quarantine and do that album soon. Cause I'm sure that'd be pretty cool and a great way for people to check out. Um, I think you have some stuff on YouTube. Am I correct? Yes. Yeah, I do. I, I have okay, it. Or your Instagram or something. Yeah. My, my, I, I sprinkle it everywhere as, as often as I can, just cause I know that it is sort of a, a very bizarre thing for people and it just not something that, you know, is as mainstream as I guess like uh songwriting or whatever. So I just like to, to share it whenever I can, because I, I think that, um, even though it's not as mainstream, it's, you know, not necessarily more pretentious or more like sure. erudite or whatever. So it's, it's really fun. I like to share it whenever I can. So then would the, with the next, you know, Patreon backer, whatever thing, would that be like a Ron Stampler, like slam poetry album? <laughs> or is that like, this oh, a bridge too far? Oh man. I don't think, I don't think any of us are going to be able to beat the, the Henry rap, but you know, I could see potentially in the future. Um, Ron might be pretty good at it. Yeah. Never know. Well, Hey, thanks again. Um, like I said, it's, it's a lot of fun to chat with you. I'm, I'm glad you're doing well in the midst of all the, uh, the pandemic and that, uh, man, the things are going well for you guys. You guys are, I'm sure you probably know this, but you are number two behind critical role on all like game podcasts What on iTunes. How'd yeah, you find critical that role out? In the news. Uh, I can, I'm, I'm because I have podcast charts in front of me. Oh, Looking at it right now. Sorry, uh, there's a site called Chartable.com. Chartable. That aggregate, yeah, aggregates data from that almost Apple sounds Podcasts naughty. That almost sounds like a yeah. naughty word. You want to go to Chartable.com? Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, uh, no, you were, you guys, it's number one, critical role. Number two, dungeons and daddies. That is such madness. Oh my gosh. And on, on all of leisure, like all of the, so there's like leisure. And then under that there's like gaming, video gaming hobbies. So on all of leisure, y'all are number 14. Whoa, 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 Behind whoa, whoa. NPR yeah. car talk, um, critical role, IGN. Yeah, no, you're, you're, you're top 15. That's pretty cool. Damn. That's really, really cool. Yeah. Um, so great talking to you. I, I, yeah. yeah. And I, you know, I, it's so great seeing your podcast grow and you get to talk to so many cool people and stuff like that. I'm glad that yeah, you're you. um, hanging in there during this <laughs> yeah. global crisis. Um, yeah. Yeah. I appreciate it. And, uh, Patreon backers, you guys are listening to this cause you support the show and I appreciate you guys. So thank you so much for listening and enjoy until next time. Here is the outro music. Mm-hmm.